This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And welcome back. Remember, more information about the show can always be found on our Facebook page. Like us at Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. In the studio with me now is Jeff Ryan. Jeff is Deputy Director, Substance Use Disorders, Criminal Justice, and Outpatient Mental Health. It's our pleasure to welcome Jeff to Sunday Morning Magazine. Thanks for having us. All right. So, Jeff, let me ask you this now. You are obviously in the alcoholism treatment um, world. Explain to us exactly what you do in your role. So at MHRB, what we do is really kind of try to make sure services are available for our residents. And and when we look at treatment of alcoholism, um, we're going to want to make sure that people have access to care by finding places to get assessments should they find a need that they're struggling with that. Um, we offer some services at the jail. So ironically, a lot of times people find themselves in trouble after drinking and then that might be part of how they start with us. Um, but my job is really to make sure that we have service available and, and again, the service array that we would need to have for alcoholism treatment is really a spectrum. So as people start to develop a drinking problem, they may or may not fall into a treatment category. We may be able to do some intervention at that point in time and try to help them change their behaviors and recognize that, you know, if they continue on in a problematic way, they'll probably develop a dependence on this. But right now they're not there. So um, sometimes we're trying to intervene. And then other times we're even at the point of needing to make such an intervention that the person needs withdrawal management or detoxification. Um, So if a person has a really serious relationship with alcoholism, um, with alcohol, that they're an alcoholic, it – you can't just stop drinking. It's harmful to do that. So you need medical intervention, and that's okay. what we call withdrawal management. All right. So let's talk about this now. Why do you think alcoholism, why do you think it's so widespread today? You know, in the substance use world, we're always looking at what the new things are. You know, so we have the heroin epidemic. We're still probably in it. Um, people are still dying of overdoses. Now methamphetamine comes in, but alcohol is always there. Alcohol has always been around. So for the entire period of human civilization, somebody found a way that fruit was fermented and, you know, we could drink it and suddenly it causes some effects. Um, when you look at the market today, Alcohol is associated with sporting events and music events and you can buy it at the grocery store and any gas station. So it's fairly accessible Mm -hmm. and it's also fairly quick to consume. So because you're just going to drink it, you don't have to do a lot of preparation with it and um, anybody can obtain it. So I I would say it becomes easy for us to use and it becomes easy for us to think, oh, it's not so bad. It's alcohol. Mm -hmm. And when I compare it to other things, other vices Mm -hmm. that people have, um, and and, and I think American culture, American society, you know, it is really easy to use – in a celebratory manner and in, you know, we drown our sorrows mm-hmm. with alcohol. Um, but 
celebrate victories and and everything in between and because of that it's intertwined and i think people don't see it as a big deal mm-hmm. but it can be and for a lot of people it has ruined lives all right so how many people struggle with alcoholism do we know the stats what do we know here well so in in 2018 there was a survey done that roughly 14.4 million people had alcohol use disorder. So that's six percent of the of the adult population, eighteen and older. Um, that's a pretty big number. So one of the things you have to look at about that number is how did we get it? What data did we pull from? What surveys? Um, I think a lot of it is self-report, and because of that. It's probably pretty accurate. I mean, it sounds like a big number, but I think you look at all the people around you, we probably all know somebody that has a problem with alcohol at some point in time in their life. And, and you know, it, you're looking at the spectrum of life too. So sometimes people are able to get this under control. Um, but it's really when that drinking starts to cause problems in their lives. And there's a wide variety of ways that that can impact itself. Okay. And we'll talk about some of those in a second. But one of the more interesting things that I found in the research is that more women reported being addicted to alcohol than men. That was really surprising to me. It's a little, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but yes, uh, the, the women had 1.9%. And the men had 1.4%. Um, so if you think about how men and women drink, um, sometimes women will drink in the shadows. And, and I think because of that, we don't always know um, where men are maybe a little bit more verbose and, and forward with that. Um, those are some of the reasons. All right. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. In the studio with me this morning, we're speaking to Jeff Ryan. Jeff is with Mental Health Recovery Board. He's here this morning to talk about alcoholism. For more information on alcoholism or more information on Jeff or the Mental Health Recovery Board, visit our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. Now, you touched on this a little bit, Jeff, but let's talk more about the impact we see alcoholism having on families, communities, and neighbors. What is the impact there? So there's a lot of different things. So when an individual starts to have a harmful relationship with alcohol, they start neglecting um, not only themselves but the people around them. And so so if you're a parent, you're not doing your caregiving duties mm-hmm. or, or even, you know, monitoring your kids. So the neglect and, and you know, checking in on your kids sometimes, hap- sometimes fails to happen um, because alcohol causes that person to be drowsy and sleepy and so they're sleeping it off and, and sick over there with the beer can flu, um, not going to work, not paying their bills. Um when we think about like generally a person might drink in an evening or a night, the next day they have some of these effects, that hangover, that 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 lethargy. 
So they're not going to work. And so, so their job may be impacted. Now they may be able to call off sick, um, but maybe they don't have sick time. And so it's just lost time, lost work. Maybe the team that they work on expects them to be doing something that day and suddenly they're not. And in the same way, you know, your household, your family, your community is expecting you to uphold certain things like cutting the grass and maintaining the look of your house. And when you're not doing those things, um, you know, people start to notice. Okay, so I hear the term functioning alcoholic, and that reminded me of some of the things that you were talking about. But there are people who are able to function, even though some of the things that you just mentioned, they can still do and still drink and still be an alcoholic. You're right. And and I think in those situations, there's probably bigger, more emotional connections being being not met. And so when you look at the families, there's probably less of the family connection. Um, you know, dad isn't emotionally around or when he is he's angry and upset because he's always impaired drunk or looking to get that next drink but the functional alcoholic is somebody that sort of trained their body to be able to drink when they want to and and maintain their other functions of life but at some point in time it's not going to work out. They're going to have something hit them. And and so so when we look at, you know, like a, a, a definition of you have an alcohol use disorder, we're looking at how many times you're, you're having issues come up in life where you're not able to fulfill duties within your family or work. You're not able to cut back on the amount of drinking that you do. Sometimes we're making these little plans to ourselves to say, I'm only going to stick with three drinks and we can't do that. Um, or maybe we're going to say, I'm only going to drink two days this week and I find myself drinking seven days this week. Um, so when I'm making these little promises and I can't do it myself, there's probably a problem. Um, when I'm starting to not be able to fulfill certain duties at work, at home, I'm spending a lot of time obtaining, you know, drinks or just in the, the mood of drinking or going to clubs and whatever else or recovering the next morning because I drank so much. I mean, those are elements of I've got a problem. And a lot of times somebody on the outside on the periphery is saying, hey, maybe you got a problem. We're just not really and ready to see it. Um, and for some folks, that means the police have intervened. I got an OVI. They've stopped me at a checkpoint and said, hey, Jeff, your drinking's problematic because you're driving now. Um, and, and we haven't seen those things. Now, some people will tell me they've drank numerous times and driven before they had that first OVI. And that's an unfortunate reality. Um, but uh, when those people get stopped, hopefully that's a moment to say, hey, let's take a look at this and let's try to figure out what we can do. Okay. So let's talk about the impact alcoholism has on children because, you know, you talked about this, you have children, you neglecting parenting duties, but in the overall picture, what impact does alcoholism have on children when a parent is addicted? When a kid sees that, 
I think it gives them a couple of different approaches to life. It might be like I'm never going to drink because that's what my parents did. Um, but it also might tell them this is what natural adults do. And and there's that predisposition. And so I think children of alcoholics have far more likelihood to develop alcoholism or substance abuse in their own future because of what they saw the nurturing that they saw with that and, and you know, figuring those things out and just even some genetic predispositions. There's some science in there too. Um, so I think that's one piece. Those kids also might not have that parent to trust or be able to go to. And sometimes because of the drinking, there may be abuse, whether it be physical, sexual or emotional. That could happen while the person's impaired um, not that that's an excuse or any reason for that, but I'm just saying it could be part of that. So that could impact the kids. And then there's that, that piece about the neglect again. If the parents are drinking um, to the point of passing out or, or, you know, regular intoxication, they're probably not doing the parenting, you know, sitting down with a kid reading or, or working up with the kid on trying to figure out how to do a certain task or to figure a homework assignment out. And that lack means that kid either has to try to find it on their own or just give up. And so sometimes I think those kids will struggle um, and, and they'll maybe reach out for help amongst other people or maybe they'll just isolate. Mm. And again, in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. For more information on the show, more information on our guests, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. In the studio with me this morning is Jeff Ryan. He is with the Mental Health Recovery Board. He's here this morning to talk about alcoholism. Now, let's talk about treatment approaches. You touched on that earlier, but what does treatment look like current day in terms of alcoholism? So there's a variety of different treatment approaches. If a person has a really, really harmful relationship with alcohol and they're going to go through DTs, um, so that's delirium tremens, and it's withdrawal, your body's shaking, you may even be hallucinating as the alcohol leaves your body, it's not a pleasant experience. You're probably going to need some medical supervision to do that. And, and you know... There are places that provide withdrawal management services. We work with Beckett Springs to do that. But almost all hospitals have the ability to admit a person medically and monitor that. There's medications that a doctor would prescribe and watch to do that. We would like to believe that not everybody is on that far end of the spectrum and they could just stop drinking. Um, Then it's really sort of reprogramming the brain. And so what I mean by that is if you have a harmful relationship with alcohol and all of your recreational activities involve drinking and suddenly you realize that that's not good for you, you got to figure something else out. And so we got to sort of start at ground zero. Um, and, And so a lot of times people have neglected their own inner feelings, their thoughts, and their other behaviors because drinking's been something that's helped either cloud that or create a false sense of reality. And so 
once you remove that, they got to figure those things out on their own. And it's it's dealing with some of those emotions. It's working through some of those things. But I think it's also learning to have fun without those chemicals on board. And so a lot of times for all substance use treatments, um, the most cost-effective way to do that is through a group. And so you attend a group with other people, maybe not the exact same substance, um, but everybody's a substance user, and we start talking about life, and we start talking about a variety of different topics. And most group therapists have like a curriculum where tonight we're going to talk about a specific topic like the emotion sadness. And so when you have sadness, what does it mean? What is it telling you? How do you adapt to that? What could you do instead? And let's actually come through some other ways of dealing with that besides turning towards the chemical because that's what we've done in the past and trying to relearn those skills. Um, the other thing I want to say is if you start drinking you know, at an early age, let's say 16, and in that time that becomes the way you deal with a certain emotion, when you stop drinking at age 25, you've never really still learned to deal with that emotion. So we got to go back and try to figure out what to do with that. Okay. Now let's talk about prevention um, in terms of we talked about um, treatment, but let's jump back and talk about preventing alcoholism all, uh, altogether. What are some of the identifying risk factors that you guys see? What we try to do as far as prevent is, is we want to try to delay the onset of use. And so when we look at risk factors, we're looking at what environment that person is living in, what kind of things they've seen from their their family and elders and community, um, and what mixed messages they've had about those chemicals. We want to talk to them about their experience with um, can they obtain it? Is it easy to get? Is it easy to find? And, and also try to figure out what their peers are doing um, because those are all things that – lend into whether or not the person may or may not use. But then I think we also want to try to give them some tools and some some resources to say, you know, this isn't a good choice for you because your brain is growing. Um, you're not fully developed. Let's try to figure out some alternatives. And I think alternatives tend to be one of the better ways of, of dealing with prevention um, and trying to give kids a different outlet in, instead of using chemicals. And so that's one of the things we're, we're really trying to do. When we look at prevention, you know, we have educational strategies, information dissemination, but alternatives can be a really big boost because it gives something else to do. I, I think as kids are growing up, I, I think it's best for parents, teachers, everybody to kind of communicate about what is perceived to be a healthy relationship with chemicals. And I think we're in a really difficult time right now. And I say that because, you know, with, with cannabis becoming legalized, we're suddenly taking a substance that forever we've said, don't use this. It's so harmful. And now it's a medicine. And so I think in, in the eyes of a teenager or their mind – it throws everything up there. And so I think we still have to look at, say, you know, this is 
a healthy behavior is a person that can moderately drink. And so what does that mean? The definition is, you know, less than three drinks um, in one sitting, less than, you know, three times a week. I think – but not also describing those things, role modeling those behaviors, showing those things so that people understand this is a healthy use as opposed to this is what a harmful use is because I think if if kids are going to lead their own behaviors, they're going to find a way to say, hey, this is fun and that's probably not the best way. Do you find that a lot of parents find drinking alcohol as a teenager is almost acceptable? Uh, you know – I don't know. I've got teenage daughters myself and and uh, we've had conversations with them and they've chose not to drink um, and don't like the taste of it. And, and I don't know how all other parents are dealing with that. I think there's a lot of media campaigns that say, you know, those who host lose the most. And so when parents decide to have the kids come to their house for the drinking party where they can control it. That's a huge no-no and, and can create lots of problems, not for the not only for the kids but for the parents. And so there have been a lot of media campaigns that say just don't do that. Don't host the party so that you can control it. Um, and I, I hope that message has gotten out. But we also know that underage drinking is still happening and so – you don't necessarily know how the kids are obtaining. Um, it's still a, a big problem. All right. All right. Well, we're out of time this morning. If our listeners would like to find out more about the services that are offered here in this area in terms of alcoholism, how can they find out more? Our website is mhrbwcc.org. You can check things there or really things like the SAMHSA website, um, Ohio Moss, lots of things out there like the Start Talking um, links that they have can get you some information about prevention and alcohol treatment in general. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us this morning. Good information, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around. We'll be back with more Sunday Morning Magazine in a moment. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. And right now, you can save when you shop your faves. Just buy six or more participating sale items and save 50 cents each with your card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.